This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Do you want your Christianity to be a painful and pointless noise or a beautiful symphony? The difference is love. Do you want your Christianity to be measured by how much you know or how much you look like Christ? The answer is love. Do you want your Christianity to be outwardly impressive or eternally effective? The difference maker is love. And notice he says, love is truly that one thing that we will take in with eternity. In your faith journey, how do you approach love? Do you pour it out unconditionally to everyone around you? Or are you selective with who you choose to support? In today's message, Pastor Josh wants you to know that if you want to grow like never before in your walk with Jesus, you need to start practicing love. The concept sounds easy enough, but what happens when the rubber hits the road? When God is pushing you to love your enemies, how do you respond? Upgrade your faith with love. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Galatians chapter 5 as he continues his message to purpose. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, He produces the character, the nature of Christ within us. He shines through us. The creator of the universe who caused the universe to shine, it shines through us. We've looked at this ministry of the Holy Spirit in two separate ways, if you've joined us. We've looked at Him at, as how He is defined as a person. Who is the person of the Holy Spirit? That he is fully divine and yet personal. He is invisible yet tangible and he is holy. We looked last time together at the purpose of the Spirit. That the Spirit of God, the purpose is to work around us in the world, to work in us, changing our hearts and our lives, and to work through us to impact each other for the glory of God. I want to turn our attention to what I entitled the products of the Spirit? Or what does the Spirit produce when He truly lives inside of us? What comes out of you is a product of what's inside of you. Jesus made this clear. I'm going to hone in on one passage that I believe sums up the products or the production of the Spirit in our lives. And that's Many of you will already know in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have your Bible there, please turn to Galatians chapter 5. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26, but the fruit of the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. The beginning of Galatians chapter 5, Paul outlines the necessity. The whole chapter, you could, you could sort of title it, what it means to live and walk and be led by the Spirit. All of chapter 5 is about the, what the Spirit wants to do in giving us life as opposed to what the law does. 
the external force of religion. It's different from what the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of our hearts. And he starts off by contrasting the works of the flesh by the fruit of the Spirit. And the questions that he brings forth is, do you yield to the Holy Spirit's authority in your life? Are you staying in step with his guidance, with his leading? Is the internal environment of your heart and your mind conducive to hearing his voice, receiving his instruction, submitting to the Spirit's lead? The contrast here is between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The flesh is the direct enemy of our freedom in Christ. And as we discuss what the Spirit produces in our lives, we must understand that we are discussing, having a discussion about fruit. <laughs> fruit is something that grows, something that must be cultivated and cared for. It's something that increases and matures over time. Fruit is a reflective of the source. It's an outward demonstration of what's happening in our lives. Jesus talks about fruit in many different aspects within the Bible. Abiding in Christ produces fruit. Jesus uses this analogy frequently in his teaching. He made it clear in John chapter 15 that his desire for all of his disciples was that they would bear much, what? Fruit, and that their fruit would last. He made it clear that a tree is known by the fruits it produces. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. And then he makes it clear in John 15, verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing." And how is it that we abide in Christ when Christ isn't here with us in person? By walking in the Holy Spirit, by being led by the Spirit, by heeding the voice of the Spirit, by yielding to the Spirit's work in our life. That is how we abide in Christ. Therefore, that is how we bear fruit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote this regarding the fruit of the Spirit. I think it's beautiful. He says, fruit is always a miraculous the created. It's never the result of willing, but always a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, only He can produce it. They who bear it know as little about it as a tree knows of its fruit. They know only the power of Him on whom their life depends. In other words, when we contrast this idea, I I want you to notice He contrasts the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. First observation regarding the fruit of the Spirit is Spirit-produced. It's the fruit of who? It belongs to Him. It is His nature. It is something that He creates, He produces. And this is important, I'll tell you why. The works of the flesh are activities that we produce. Our flesh produces. We do. We work, work, work at sin. But the fruit of the Spirit is something the the Spirit grows in our lives as we submit to Him cultivating the soil of our hearts. Fruit is not something that you strive for. I've never walked past a farm. I've walked through a lot of corn farms since I moved to Missouri. (laughs) And something that hasn't happened to me yet is I haven't walked through a cornfield hearing all the little corn stalks groaning. This is hard work. Ah!" Now there's there's work going on, but it's, it's work that is 
from the source, from the inside out. It's a natural product of being planted in the right soil, fed the right fertilizers. It's not the work of the plant itself, per se, but it is cultivated as it's planted in the soil. In the same way, fruit is not something we strive for, but something the Spirit produces. If love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are, are, are something that you are striving to, to work for in your life, guess I got to be nice. It's really hard to be patient with you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do I don't want to do this, but I really... I'm not suggesting that obedience sometimes isn't just an act of that, simply that, obedience. And this is a hard statement, but the reality is, is that might be indicative of the state of our relationship with Christ. If the fruit of the Spirit is work, that means it's not something that's naturally being produced, which takes us back to the source. Why is my patience lacking? Why am I struggling to find kindness in my heart? Why is my life zapped of supernatural joy? Does the Spirit really have full reign in the soil of my heart? Because what's being produced? So it's Spirit-produced. Second observation, I missed this for years, years and years of learning this passage, you know, singing the song as a kid. That fruit in the Greek and in the English It's singular nominative. So it's not the fruits of the Spirit, plural. It is the fruit of the Spirit, singular. Now, this is interesting. Um, You might think of it in this way. There are many different species of fruits. But what, what Paul is talking about here is one fruit that contains multiple parts. You might think of it as a bunch of grapes, right? You have one fruit... That, that is collected into multiple pieces. Or maybe better yet, what about an apple? The apple has red skin and a firm white pulp and a solid core and small brown seeds and a brown stem. It has multiple aspects, but it is a single fruit. And why this matters is when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, when we get there, you know, prophecy and tongues and healings and miracles, there are gifts, plural, of the Spirit. In other words, not everyone gets all the gifts. God might give you a gift of healing. God might give you a gift of prophecy. God might give you a gift of tongues. There are multiple gifts. But when it comes to the fruit, singular of the Spirit, it's not like God divvies them out separately. God gave you love. God gave you kindness. God gave you gentleness. No. The fruit of the Spirit is the full package being produced in the life of the believer. It is one fruit in many parts. You could think of it, if you were to cut open the fruit of the Spirit, it's wrapped in the outer skin of love. It has a pulp of joy, peace, and patience. It has seeds of kindness and goodness. It has a core of faithfulness, a stem of gentleness, and a sweet taste of self-control. And none of these fruits are exclusive, mutually exclusive. If they don't all exist and are growing to some degree or another, you don't truly have the fruit of the Spirit. This is hard to swallow, no pun intended. (laughs) But I think it's good. 
It forces to have a more comprehensive and thorough and objective examination of our lives and if we are allowing truly the spirit to work in us, we tend to want to separate our behaviors. Well, I'm, I'm pretty good at kindness, but I'm not so good at self-control. It's the same spirit who produces in you kindness and self-control. Now, you might be more naturally inclined to be gentle or naturally inclined to be patient, but what we're talking about here is supernatural. It's that which exceeds your natural ability, and it comes in full measure. Some parts develop a little slower than others, and the fruit matures over time. It's not like we get it all at once, and we wake up tomorrow, and we're just a perfect picture of all the the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But it's all growing. I I know I have the fruit of the Spirit because I, I showed kindness to that lady who needed help with the groceries. That's great, but when you got home, you exploded in anger at your kids because they left their bike on the driveway. When the Spirit has allowed His work in us, we will see all of the characteristics growing. I think it's interesting that it was a single fruit that brought mankind into rebellion against God and sin into the garden. And likewise, it's a single fruit that takes us back towards who God intended us to be. The fruit of the Spirit. So let's bite into it, shall we? Let's look at what the fruit of the Spirit contains. Love. I'll define this part of the fruit as divine action that is selfless and sacrificial, that exceeds our natural capacity. The Greek word here is one that many of you have heard. It's the Greek word agape. It's, an ing- it's a Greek word. It's the closest word that they could find in the Greek to describe the nature of the love of God. Any human word that we use for love is falls short to some degree. But the word agape is special because it's a word that expresses the coming outside of oneself. It's not a love that self-fulfills. It's a love that is expressed outwardly, sacrificially, selflessly towards others. It has a divine source, which is God. Finish the sentence. God is, God does not love. God is not loving. God is love. Now, the products of that are that he loves and that he's loving, of course. But he's a very definition. He's a very nature of love. The Holy Spirit is God in us. So we have love dwelling in us who wants to express his love through us. I read a short article on psychology today where one PhD decided to tackle the question, what is love? (laughs) After reading the very first line, I knew we were in, in for trouble. Love, she wrote, is a force of nature. Oh, no. And then she defines it clearly by cultural standards. She writes, you cannot dictate how and when and where love expresses itself. Love does not come with conditions or stipulations or addendas or codes. You know, that's all very fluffy and poetic. For someone who doesn't know God, it's a good attempt, but it falls tremendously tremendously short. One Psychology 101 textbook defines love as, quote, an agitated state of psychological arousal. Hi, sweetheart. Just want to know that you, you really agitate me psychologically. <laughs> I'm very aroused and, and agitated, you know. That just warms your heart. But these definitions sort of absolve a person from really understanding what love is. It, it likens love to 
things like acceptance and tolerance and niceness and whatever feels right. Doesn't allow love to have any defined borders. But the love of God is very clearly defined. The Bible paints an entirely different picture of love. Biblical love is the adoption of the nature of Jesus and the mind of Christ. Its definition, its borders are found in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself around. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And then Paul says something very interesting. Whether there are prophecies, they will fail. And where there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. The Spirit gives prophecies. The Spirit gives tongues. The Spirit gives knowledge. But the Spirit himself says, the preeminent thing that I give is love. You are not spiritual because you act spiritual or you you are perceived to have spiritual gifts. You are spiritual when love is a motivating factor of everything you do. That you start to see things the way God sees them. That his heart beats in yours. How he cares about people. Do you want your Christianity to be a painful and pointless noise or a beautiful symphony? The difference is love. Do you want your Christianity to be measured by how much you know or how much you look like Christ? The answer is love. Do you want your Christianity to be outwardly impressive or eternally effective? The difference maker is love. And notice he says, love is truly that one thing that we will take in with eternity. These three three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Faith disappears when you're in heaven. Why? Because your your faith becomes your sight, as the famous hymn puts it. You'll see Jesus, you won't need faith anymore. Hope Well, you live in hope right now because you're expecting eternal life. But when you're with God in heaven, your hope will be realized. The one thing that remains is love. It's the one thing that carries from time into eternity. And so the fruit of the Spirit, it's wrapped in love. This is why Paul told us, Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 5, be imitators of God as dear children. How do we imitate God? Walk in love. As Christ has also loved us and given himself for us in offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling aroma. So, question one, am I allowing the Spirit to produce a divine attribute in me that causes me to act in a selfless and sacrificial way, in the same way that Christ has demonstrated his love towards me? Number two, joy. I'll define joy as divine gladness, divine gladness that surpasses human happiness or earthly happiness. C.S. Lewis once said that joy is the serious business of heaven. Remember what Jesus said again in John 15? These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus says, I want the joy that I have to be in you. And when my joy is in you, your joy will be complete. That word full, it means to be brimming at the top. What does this tell us first? The obvious that Jesus was a man who who possessed great joy. And this is what strikes me, is that Isaiah the prophet says that Jesus would be acquainted with grief and a man of sorrow. Wait a minute. 
You can be a person who knows grief and knows sorrow and yet have complete joy at the same time. Yes, because joy surpasses emotion. It surpasses circumstances. It surpasses what I possess or what I don't possess. If things are going my way or if they're not, joy is rooted in something that doesn't change. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's something that belongs to him that's found in him, that he possesses. And Jesus said, my joy, the joy that I have. Well, what joy is that? Hebrews tells us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The cross is not joyful. It's not a joyful scene. It's not a happy place. And yet there was a joy that surpassed the pain that was ahead of the suffering, the joy of eternity, the joy of what the sacrifice would accomplish. Second, Jesus desires that we would experience his joy to live our lives to the fullest. Every letter from every apostle in the Bible has a reference to the joy available to the believer. Paul speaks about rejoicing in the hope we have in Christ. John speaks about having fullness of joy. James speaks about having joy in the midst of trials. Peter speaks about having joy inexpressible and full of glory. You see, joy is the essence of a relationship with Christ. Charles Spurgeon once observed very wisely, I do not think the church rejoices enough. We all grumble enough. We certainly all groan enough, but very few of us rejoice enough. There are some Christians that seem to have been reared on vinegar. (laughs) Joy even surpasses our personality. Some of us are more introverted. Some of us are more... uh, quiet. Maybe we're not always seeming to be expressive of smiles on our faces or whatever it might be. I'm famously known for that. (laughs) Like everywhere I go, Josh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm just thinking. (laughs) (laughs) But I think um, I'm grateful for joyful people because it is sometimes a struggle for me to allow the spirit take that preeminent place in my life to give me the joy of the Lord, to be my strength. One author once wrote that joy is a flag on the castle that indicates that Jesus is on the throne. It's a great way to put it. Third, the fruit consists of peace. I call this divine assurance that transcends earthly circumstances. In the same way that Jesus left us his joy, he also promised us his peace. In John 14, 27, peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So there's something about the peace of Jesus that produces a steadiness when the temptation is to fear. Let not your heart be troubled or be afraid. In other words, Jesus would know that as we walk through this life, we will be bombarded daily with things that want to cause us to be afraid or to be troubled in our hearts. And Jesus said the only way around that is the peace of God, is the peace of the Holy Spirit, the peace that Jesus had as he walked this earth. Notice something about the peace of Jesus is that it's unique, not as the world gives. So Jesus acknowledges that there is a type of peace or an appearance of peace that the world can give you. It's a temporary peace. The world might give you a sense of financial peace for a little bit. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, 
we're looking into what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and how that plays out in ministry. In the book of Acts, you notice that the day of Pentecost occurred, ushering in a new era for Christians, experiencing God's presence living inside of them. Jesus had physically left them, but he promised to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. As people experience God's presence in their lives, there's a different way that they live due to this powerful influence. We're told not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May these messages that you're hearing bring you closer to God and bring about changes in you that can only be attributed to His Holy Spirit working inside you. If you'd like to hear additional messages from this series called Ministry of the Spirit, go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Media tab. The Ascending Life Ministry is an outpouring of what's going on at Grace Calvary in St. Joseph, Missouri. Our heart is for people to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to learn more about Pastor Josh? Simply hop onto our website, theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's all the time we have for today. Make plans to join us again because there's more to learn about God and His Spirit right here on The Ascending Life. We're